this chapter, John chapter 9, is all about seeing and not seeing. And this morning, we're looking primarily at the first half of the chapter, and I want to talk about three things. And here's the first thing. A perverse doctrine refuted. You might remember from John chapter 8 that Jesus has had this great interaction with the religious leaders of the day and he has made some astonishing statements about who he is and they became so incensed that at the end of chapter 8 when they realized that Jesus was making the very clear claim that he is eternal God, verse 58 of chapter 8, they determined that there and then they were going to kill him. And they had stones in their hand ready to do so. But Jesus was able to walk away from them and they were not able to carry out their plan. And then the very next thing that is recorded is this encounter that Jesus has with this blind man. And the whole thing that prompts this encounter with the blind man is the question that the disciples ask him in verse 2. Now, first of all, let's just establish something. All illness, all corruption, all decay in this world is the result of original sin. All of the rottenness in the world is the result of original sin question what do I mean by original sin I mean that ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden their fall from living a life of perfect righteousness and holiness and obedience their fall from living in fellowship with the God who created them their fall from a godly morality into open rebellion and transgression against God Ever since their fall, all of mankind has been born in that same fallen condition. It's like their spiritual disease has been passed on to us and we were born with their spiritual condition. We don't start out good and corrupt ourselves. Every evil known to man is already in the heart of every child that is born. It is there. And all illness, all corruption, all decay, all of the rottenness in the world, and ultimately death, is the result of sin. All of creation groans to be set free, says Paul in Romans chapter 8. Thorns and weeds sprang up out of the ground to frustrate and thwart Adam's attempt at farming the ground as a direct consequence of his sin. Within the soul of each one of us is an understanding that this world is not as it should be and not as it could be, but we don't have what it takes to make it what it could be. The fact is that this world is not as it once was because of sin. We are not as, it, as we should be. We are not as we once were in Adam and Eve before they sinned. We are not what we should be because of sin. But 
And here's the big but. To say that one specific illness in this person is the direct result of this specific sin, which was taught and believed by the religious leaders of their day. You'll actually see it if you read on in John chapter 9. You'll actually find it there in verse uh, 34. You were completely born in sins, you teaching us. And this is something that they believed and they taught that the, this sin problem is uh, causing these uh, illnesses. And so they ask this very specific question in verse 2, who sinned? This is what we've been taught. This man is in the condition he's in because someone has committed a particular sin. It's either him or it's his parents. Now, of course, if he was born blind, it can hardly be him who's done the sin, can it? But Jesus completely dismisses the question. And he completely dismisses the suggestion. Now, if we are to ask the question, can it never be the case that a specific illness is the result of a specific sin? Well, I'm not going to categorically say that it can never happen. What I am going to say is that it is never for any of us to say that that is the case. It is never for any of us to say that that illness is the result of that sin. I believe it's unwise in the extreme. It's unhelpful in the extreme. And it is to completely deny the answer that Jesus gives here in the Bible. Now, of course, some of you will know that in some quarters of the Christian world, it actually is a very popular belief that a particular sin or illness is the direct result of a particular uh, sin that someone has committed and men and women who claim to have a, a word of knowledge from God will state unequivocally that your illness, your sickness is the result of this sin and you need to repent of that sin. And for as long as that illness remains, it's because you remain unrepentant of your sin. And the pressure to repent just increases and increases and increases and it is perverse it is wicked it is abusive it is manipulative and it goes right against what Jesus says in John chapter 9 verse 3 the kind of thinking that often accompanies this ethos says that if you're a Christian you should be living in such a state of victory that no illness is ever able to touch you. That's perverse. And it's not what the Bible teaches. And so this perverse doctrine, which is around in the day of Jesus and his disciples, Jesus tackles it head on and very clearly in verse 3. And so you might think, thank goodness for that. But what Jesus then does from the next verse is bring to our attention a very different perspective indeed. And whilst you might be very thankful that verse 3 is true, verse 4 
is something that you really have to get your head and heart around as a believer as well. Because verse four changes everything for you as a Christian compared to the world around you. Because having had this perverse doctrine refuted, we now have a humbling doctrine revealed. Verse four. Well, the end of verse three, that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now think about that. He spent years as a toddler, as a child, in utter blindness, that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's the day the night's coming when no one can work. There are certain phrases that should never really be heard from the lips of a Christian. Permit me to suggest three. That's just not fair. What have I done to deserve that? Why me? If there was ever one person who could justifiably make those protests, he didn't. He set his face like a flint towards the cross for you. Now, I said phrases like that should never really be heard. Let me just qualify that because the fact is we're all weak earthen vessels. And sometimes those kinds of questions are our initial response. Let's be honest. They are. You can receive some news, you can find yourself in a particular situation and it comes as a bolt out of the blue and it completely floors you. It happens, even to the best of Christians. And you may, at first and for a time, find yourself struggling with those kinds of questions. But here's the thing, those kinds of questions, that's just not fair. What have I done to deserve that? Why me? For the Christian, they never become your settled position. You don't stay there asking those kinds of questions. That's the difference. Because even in the midst of tragedy, even confronted with the most severe trial or difficulty, there is a truth which humbles the believer before their God. It isn't all about you. And it isn't all about the effect it's having upon you. God is bigger than you. And God has his purposes. And God is working so as to reveal himself so that you may know him better and more closely for one thing. It can be a hard lesson. It can be a painful lesson sometimes to learn perhaps. But when you can grasp this and when you can believe it and when you can accept it and trust it, when you can pray it, when you can testify this, when you can live this, you'll find yourself in a place of remarkable peace and comfort. Even in the midst of the most violent storm. And you'll be in a place where you can still recognize God's blessings and thank and praise him 
and in your weakness discover his strength. If you can grasp this truth that the works of God must be revealed. That God's glory might be revealed. That God's grace might be revealed. God is God of your life and God of your circumstances. Do you believe that? That's what it boils down to. God wants to use your life, your circumstances, to reveal to you and in you and through you his works, his glory, his grace. Do you believe that? That's the question. Do you? Is your God bigger than you? That's the question. If you do believe it, you relate to what Jesus says of himself in verses 4 and 5. Because the whole life and circumstances of Christ were all about revealing the Father and making the Father known. The Father's works, the Father's glory, the Father's grace, all about doing the Father's will. That's everything that Christ was about. And being a follower of Christ means that we follow his example. If you've truly grasped this lesson, if you can grasp this lesson that t- Jesus is teaching here, then you, like, like him, will give yourself to God today and every day and in every situation. And what a different perspective on illness that is. Rather than to be accused of sin and almost being beaten into submission which is how some would treat it. And how this verse should shape how we pray for one another in the midst of these circumstances. That God's works would be seen. That God would be seen in all of his glory, in all of his grace, in all of his compassion. In the midst of it all, God would be at work. Now, some of you at this point may have a nagging doubt that won't quite go away because there's a question arises that you can't quite settle within yourself. The question goes something like this. Are you telling me that this man suffered blindness all through his childhood, all through his teenage years, because he's of age now, he's an adult man, With all the hardships, all the stigmas that go with being blind, just so that God could have his day? Let's be honest, you say that out in the world and many will find that repulsive. God would do that? Just for himself? How do you respond to that? How would you respond when people put that to you? What kind of God is this that would do that to somebody? What do you say to them? Well, let me help you. If life really is all about me and how it makes me feel, well, it is repulsive. 
if life is just about the here and now and what you can make of yourself and the lusts and cravings that you can satisfy and gratify, if that's what life is all about, this blind man really did get a very rough deal, didn't he? If that's what life is about. If that's all life is. But you see, it was this man's blindness that brought him face to face with Christ that day. It was this man's blindness that set him along a path which began with him calling Jesus just a man but concluded with him worshipping Christ as the Lord of glory as a believer on the very same day. And in heaven, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining like the sun with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun and then for the very first time you meet that man who spent all of his early years in his earthly life in blindness and you ask him was it worth it? What do you think he'll say? What do you think he'll say? Here is a man who will look around all of God's heaven where he's going to spend all of eternity. 20 years in blindness for this? Take it any day. a whole new perspective do you have it do you know it do you live it do you love it and of course in all of this thirdly we see the compassion the grace and the power of Christ now for this morning We're not going to concern ourselves with the sceptical unbelief of the Pharisees which comes through loud and clear, particularly through the second half of the chapter. Um, We'll consider that this evening. So I'm acknowledging that it's there, but just put that to one side for this evening. Let's concentrate on some of the facts which are so clearly laid before us in this chapter. Facts which are repeatedly disbelieved and questioned and challenged by the Pharisees but which are repeatedly stated from a variety of different positions. Now unlike other blind men recorded in the Gospels, this one did not cry out to Jesus. You often read of them crying out to him. This one didn't. Jesus came to him, prompted by the question put to him by his disciples in verse 2. But even though this man hasn't cried out to Jesus, Jesus is still moved with compassion and in grace and with the overwhelming desire to reveal the works of God in him. And remember that to reveal the works of God 
is to reveal the heart of God, is to reveal the nature of God, is to reveal the character of God, because the works of God are never at odds with or contrary to his nature and his character. Everything that God does is in accordance with his nature and his character and his his being. And so you look at the works of God and you know what God is like. God is full of compassion and grace. And so, of course, Jesus is. Because, number one, he's revealing God's works. And, number two, Jesus is himself God. I want you to notice that Jesus frequently takes his time with people. I'm certain that Jesus never wasted one moment of any day, but how often do you read of Jesus being in a rush? He's never frantic. He works long, hard days, but he's never manic. And he's he's often calm. He's often measured in his approach to people. Perhaps for some, that's worth noting. And he moves in grace and in power to bring sight to eyes that have never seen. Can you, can you imagine what it's like talking to someone who's been born blind, explaining to them what it means to be able to see? How do you even begin to describe sight to someone who's always been blind? Where would you start? What words would you use to begin to try and explain what it means to be able to see if they've always been blind. What it must have been for that man to suddenly have this sense brought to him that he'd never had before. And he brings sight to the eyes of this man. Some suggest that he actually created new eyes in the man's head. Well, maybe that's actually what Jesus did. Maybe that's what was necessary in order for sight to be restored. The question asked at verse 32 hits the nail on the head. We didn't read it earlier, but just look at verse 32 of John chapter 8. Of John chapter 9, I beg your pardon. Verse 32 of John chapter 9. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. And that's the issue that's confronting them. And this man's condition is without question. The man knew it, the local people knew it, his parents knew it, and the Pharisees were promptly shut down when they dared to suggest that his condition has been exaggerated. This man was born blind. It's a fact. No one's disputing it except the sceptical Pharisees, but they are soon shut down. Are some of you keeping up with the parallel spiritual narrative that's running alongside this story? Have you spotted it yet? Are you seeing how this encounter between Jesus and this man, as with so many of his encounters like this, is a picture of our spiritual state and our spiritual need and of the only one who is able to do anything about it? In this man are eyes that have never seen 
because they cannot see. They are incapable of sight and that is how he was born. And such is our spiritual state. Such is our spiritual sight. We actually lack it. We are born blind to spiritual things. We cannot see what we should see. We cannot see our sin as we need to see it. We cannot see the Saviour as we need to see him. And yet our condition is without question. And Jesus came to this man and we are in need of Christ coming to us, which is precisely what he's done. He's the the saviour who seeks out and saves the lost. Have you heard him and felt him seeking you? And Jesus is able to do for this man what no one else can do. And he's able to do most certainly what the man cannot do for himself. Who can give sight? to a man born blind and on another occasion it was asked of Jesus of course who can forgive sins but God alone and in this man Jesus we discover God incarnate God in human form the eternal son of God the Christ this one man with two natures fully God fully man and in this man Christ Jesus lies not only the power to give sight to the blind but the power and authority to forgive sins and to overcome death and to overcome the grave. He's the door into heaven. He's the light of the world who gives life to all. He alone is the way. Only through him may you be reconciled to God. Jesus can do for you what no one else can, just like he did for this man. And this blind man is asked to exercise faith. Go and wash. And he goes and washes and he comes back seeing. And the call of the gospel is simply this. That you too would believe and put your trust in Christ. Now some here perhaps think that You have to be able to see everything with great clarity first before you can trust in Christ. But notice the picture that we have with this man. When he first steps out to go to the pool, he's still blind. But he doesn't stop halfway saying to himself, what's the point of this? I still can't see. He continues by faith. He perseveres in faith. He trusts in what Christ has said. And then his sight is restored. Maybe that's a picture some of you need. To exercise faith in Christ. And then the things that you long to see, you will see. There was still very much that this man did not know and could not explain. And we'll see that particularly this evening. But this much is true for him. I was blind but now I see. Maybe some of you are expecting far too much too soon. You want to know and feel everything when you haven't yet got down on your knees and simply come to Christ and confessed your need of him and repented of your sin before him and entrusted yourself to him. 
and to do that just as you are and then to receive his forgiveness and his cleansing and to receive sight that you might see maybe that's what you need to do today just to respond to Christ in faith and trust him for all that he will do just like this man there may still be much that you don't know there may still be much that you can't explain but you'll be able to say this Christ has come to me he's made himself known to me I've believed in him and I'm trusting in him and in that I'm absolutely convinced And this man's story concludes with him repeatedly and consistently professing Christ, even in the midst of increasing opposition and hostility. And there's some great lessons there that we can learn that we'll look at this evening. Jesus made the clay. He put the clay on my eyes. He told me where I had to go and what I had to do. And one thing I know, this morning... I woke up as blind as on any other day, but now I see. My prayer for each one of you is that you may have a testimony that is as simple and as life-changing as this blind man. Everything has changed and is changing because I have met the Lord Jesus Christ and I can see.